0: Hey, you guys. Are you ready for the best show in the Pacific Northwest? Here's my dad to his boyfriend and friend. All right, you guys. What's going on? It's episode number 108 of the Ron and Don Show. It is Memorial Day weekend. It's Memorial Day. He's Ron. He's live from the shores of South Lake Union in the Les Schwann Studios. I'm Don O'Neill, live from the shores of Queen Anne Mountain, where we really don't have shores. But uh, I'm also in the Les Schwab Studios. Coming up here, we're going to talk about Memorial Day, what it means to us and what it means to all of us as Americans. And we also want to talk about social acceptance when it comes to COVID-19. Have people just accepted that COVID-19 is going to be here because it seems like in some parts of the country and even some parts of Washington that people are just getting on with their lives and they're tired of it, right? Speaking of that... I just had a great opportunity to go visit Ron at a secret, secret location. That's right. Uh, And this is episode 108 again. Uh, Are we allowed to tell people where the secret location is? Because I was allowed, I was invited with my son to come to the secret location yesterday. And boy, uh, boy, was it awesome. It was absolutely awesome. Awesome Yes. Let's
1: just say the secret location may be in proximity to the Skycomish River. So that gives us a little bit of leeway of people wanting to come uh, invade the secret location.
0: Yeah, we came to visit. Ron has a little tiny house. It's right on the river. And we went over the river through the woods and to Ron's house we went. And this is just, what was kind of interesting to me is driving over uh, near the Skycomish River. As I was coming through Seattle, I, I still see so many people with their mask on. You see people doing pickup and takeout and delivery and everything else. I ran at Discovery Park over Memorial Day weekend. You see, still see a lot of people turning their backs, and they have a mask on, and they're looking out for each other. Uh, when, when I went down Highway 2, uh, when I stopped to get gas or we stopped to get something to eat, I only saw one young man who we ordered some food from that had a mask on. Other than that, and we saw tons of people. I mean, tons of people. In fact, trying to get back down Highway 2, it was bumper to bumper. And literally for an hour, we are going 5 to 10 miles an hour. And I didn't see a person with a mask on yesterday. Ron, what do you think that is? What's going on uh, in rural parts of Washington versus in the big city, the city of Seattle?
1: Well, I think part of this, again, is the information we're getting from... Uh, government sources. Part of it, I think, is this cultural where you're living out, you know, in, in a rural area and you don't know anybody that's been affected by COVID. You do see a lot of hikers. But The place, I'm, I'm near a popular trailhead, the tiny house, and it was like cars as far as you could see people wanting to go up this popular trailhead. And it's popular for a reason. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful hike. But I also think when you look at the the governor's plan, it's like, okay, we're going to have four phases, but nobody's on the same timeline. And so, Snohomish County, you're on phase two, and King County, you're on phase one, and Cowlitz County, you're on phase three. And there's different things you can do at the different phases. Like, nobody's going to pay attention to that. After 20 years of being on the radio, the thing that you and I know, nobody is going to understand. Mm -hmm. what phase their county is in. And what if you live on the border of King County and Pierce County, then Pierce County is in a different phase than King County. So if my business is on this side of the street, I'm going to be in phase one and your business is on the other side of the street, then you're going to be in phase two. Like imagine if we're competing hair salons and uh, you can open and i can't and we're on the opposite sides of the same street because that's where the county line is like people this is just not going to work so in fairness to those people that are up uh you know in the gold bar startup area um they may have heard this oh cool we're in a county that maybe we're in a different phase than king county and so they might think well, maybe i wear a mask maybe i don't wear a mask um So I I don't, I try to have a little bit of a longer fuse there. The people I don't have a long fuse on are like folks in King County where I I had to go to a Home Depot to pick up a, a couple of items for the, tiny house we're talking about, there's a giant sign that's like eight feet by four feet that says masks are required with a dozen people with no masks standing around the sign trying to get a cart. So like those people, I think, have no excuse because you are in King County, you're near a giant sign that tells you what the requirement is and you still ignore the requirement. So, but I mean, we can go off of that for, I do want to say though, real quick, I love the gumption of your son because he asked me, Mr. Ron, can we go kayaking next weekend? What? And we are, I'm sitting on, it's probably a class three rapids. Yeah. And he just, he's ready to go rent a kayak. (laughs) Just jump right into the, and I was like, I don't know if he's river swimming certified. He's 10, but like, he just like in his mind, class three doesn't matter like waterfalls giant rocks like he's wow. ready to he's ready to kayak
0: yeah and you guys were splitting wood yesterday what was what was that wood that fancy wood splitter you're using
1: i don't know your son really wanted to split some wood yeah so i taught him how to tuck his thumb under so the, no thumbs or fingers get chopped off hmm. and uh we split some wood so yeah. seems like if he if, dude if he likes to split wood
0: let me know because i got plenty of wood to split he had that axe flying. That was good. I love that. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, we sat around uh, the campfire for a moment, and we were talking about this Nigerian scheme that you think is just not real. In the Time great-
1: out. Before we go Nigerian scheme, yeah. g- have you even trained your son how to make a s'more? What do you I mean? I mean, his s'more technique is all over the map. Oh, you're kidding! We got burnt marshmallows. We got undercooked marshmallows. Yeah, he's he's putting stuff right onto the coals. Mm. Like he touched a marshmallow to the coal. I watched him with oh, my own oh, two eyes.
0: I think I so ate that?
1: I don't think that you've have you spent any time at all on
0: smore training. You know what? Uh, there was no training, but we, there was a lot of there's a lot of chit chat about it. Uh, all the way up. And I explained to him that I like to have my marshmallow Brown nice and slow. That way the inside gets okie goaty and then go ahead and just stick it in the flame and burn it. And what he was doing with mine, because you made this big, huge mistake of getting these jumbo marshmallows. The it's jumbo great, marshmallows are everyone, a game changer. Everyone knows when you are, uh, making marshmallows or roasting marshmallows for the first time. You can't go with a jumbo. It's too much. No, the jumbo is too much marshmallow. It's It's too too much marshmallow, Upshaw. It's too much marshmallow. It is not. It's the perfect amount of marshmallow. Oh, now you're picking on my son. He's 10. It's his first time really browning and then burning. You brown and burn. That's the way that I like my marshmallow. You can't do that with the jumbo. He
1: sets it right into the fire. Too much marshmallow. He waited five seconds, it wasn't brown enough, and he just shoved it right into
0: the coals and then gave it to
1: you. Yeah,
0: and then caught it caught it on fire. <laughs> so there it went. was raw in the middle, black yeah. on the outside, just the was, way you like it. It was good. We were just there for a couple hours yesterday, and we got to chop some wood, and uh, we got to see one of your neighbors with a gun and a machete. I don't know what that was about. Uh, you have a great security service there, uh, it seems like. and Lots of good neighbors. It's like an episode of Ozark. Yeah. And then in you a have good a- way. You have an 88 year old neighbor who, who behaves like he's 28. He is absolutely incredible. Shout out to neighbor
1: Jim. I showed him how to find the podcast. So he's pumped. He's probably listening this morning.
0: And then then we sat around the campfire and and we talked about how can the great state of Washington fall for some Nigerian scheme and give away hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, And we found this out last week and I just thought that was some story, some fake news story, because they say half of the stories now, even on Facebook that you're reading about COVID-19, this is a story out by NPR last week, they say half the stories out there are coming from China, they're coming from other parts of the world, they're coming from bots, and they once again are embedding fake information uh, that people are buying into, and that's what I thought this Nigerian scheme was. I thought the Nigerian scheme wasn't even real, and then as we were sitting around the campfire, I talked to someone, and they were like, hey, guess what? I got hit with the new Nigerian scheme. What is that, Ron? Someone steals your identity and then starts uh, collecting unemployment, right? Yeah, well, they try to. There's, If you remember all these data breaches, was it maybe three or four years ago,
1: the, the uh, credit check people, like trans union or whatever yeah. it was got hacked transamerica Trans yeah. transamerica and so that database is out there on the dark web when all of these unemployment claims started coming in nigerian scammers gathered up all that data and they started applying for unemployment and so uh that person you were talking to is a woman that i'm dating and she uh all this her hr person called her and was like hey why are you applying for unemployment because you're clearly still employed it's like i didn't apply for unemployment and so off the saga went and then credit cards were applied for her. um she's had to freeze her credit where you go out and freeze everything they sent a credit card to her parents address that had half of her parents address her name an old apartment number from a different state all onto one credit card application and opened up a bank account. That's like one of these online virtual banks and it's a mess. So they, when that $600 of extra income went on top of unemployment, I guess they siphoned off. What did you say? Several hundred million dollars yep. from Washington state.
0: Yes. Yeah. So that's not good. No. <laughs> yeah. You, 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 you would, you would think, You would think the old Nigerian scam, which you and I always see, and that stuff always ends up in our junk mailbox. You'd think for the great state of Washington, that would end up in their junk mailbox too. And evidently someone was not paying attention. And then you find out how archaic the computer systems are that government uses today. A lot of stuff, even when you look at the military, uh, a lot of the computer systems they use, uh, are from the 1970s. So it, it is incredible when you're going up against hackers from around the world that have the latest and greatest technology. And uh, Washington State got reams, So you might wanna check, you might wanna check, check in with yourself and make sure that somebody doesn't have your name your number, your address, your social security number, because chances are, and there's a pretty good chance in the great state of Washington that somebody could be using your name to collect unemployment too. Hey, we come back. It's Memorial Day weekend. We want to talk about Memorial Day and what it means to us. And a little bit later, we also want to talk about social acceptance or people at a point now where there's just kind of accepting this. Uh, And this is what happens in pandemics when you go back and you look at pandemics a lot of times the medical community doesn't have a chance to catch up. Just at some point, people socially accept it. I almost did that a couple days ago, going into a store and I forgot my mask. And then I said, I'm only going to be there for two minutes. There's a reason I turned around and went and got my mask. It has to do with a young lady by the name of Diane. And I'll tell you Diane's story coming up here in the next 10 minutes. We'll see you in one minute. It's the Ron and Don show episode 108 only. On the Ron and Don Radio Network, we are live from the Les Schwab Studios. You're listening to the Ron and Don Show on the Ron and Don Radio Network, Ronandon.com. Hey, you guys. Episode number 108. Don't forget, Ron and Don, we are licensed brokers at Windermere. So where are you on your real estate journey? Some people are buying, some people are selling, some people are investing, others are just gathering information because information is powerful. And sometimes you just want to know when you get on the other side of a pandemic, what is my property worth? What are my options? What's my exit strategy? And where do I really want to live? Do I want to downsize, upsize? Do I want to right size? Yeah. Anyway, you've been sheltered in place and you're thinking to yourself, I need a different shelter. Uh, next time this happens, hopefully, there's not. Next time, reach out to Ron, ron at Don O'Neill at com. everything at ronanddon.com. And we do virtual sit downs now where we sit down with you and we laugh a little bit, we have a cup of coffee, and we just kind of talk our way through your journey. Okay, ron at com. Write us and let's do a virtual sit down uh, today. Ron, Memorial Day uh, weekend. What are you thinking about when it comes to uh, Memorial Day?
1: Well, I I think about my family members that served in the military, and then I also think about, I I read this story this morning, and it resonated with me, because probably you'll be able to talk about it more articulately than I am. Bellevue resident Leonard Sharoff died of COVID-related causes. He was in Normandy on D-Day. Wow, And he's 96 years young. And so I was reading his story. He was part of the 509th, their mission. Uh, and if you remember, no cell phones, no GPS, uh, no high-powered radios or night vision goggles at the time. Uh, you strapped on a round parachute, not the ones where you can aim where you're going to land. It's just wherever the wind was blown, that's where you were going to land. So strapped on a parachute, and they said, here's your mission on June 6th, 1944. We want the 508. You guys, were going to drop you behind enemy lines in Normandy, France. And if you remember, uh, Germany had flown a swastika flag on the Eiffel Tower. They had Paris. They were moving out towards the coast, towards the northern coast. And then the, their mission was to install these Wiedestand nests all up and down the coast and they were going to cross the English Channel and they were going to take England and and ha- Capture all of Europe. So his job uh, Again Bellevue resident he was going to drop in behind enemy lines with the 508th And they had to secure a couple of bridges so the Germans could uh, not get supplies out to the coast Uh, He survived that, but he did not survive uh, COVID 19. It just reminded me and it brought back those vivid memories of you and I and my big brother standing on the beaches of Normandy about
0: two years ago. Yeah, last October, a couple of October's ago. This October would be two years. Uh, What's really incredible to me is when we went to the beaches of Normandy, and you'll talk to a lot of people that go to Paris. They always meant to go to Normandy and they haven't gone. I, I would suggest that you go and you hire a guide. We hired a great guide. and If you reach out to us, we'll, we'll send you his name. Uh, in fact, he was a British paratrooper uh, himself. But what you do is you'll meet your guide and you stand on the beaches and there's five landing beaches and it covers over 60 miles. Uh, the biggest armada ever in the history of the world. And then they had to figure out how we going to get all these men onto these shores. Well, they built something called Higgins boats out of Mississippi. And these were just plywood boats. So as these boats were coming to shore and the Germans were dug down, and Ron just talked about the Wiedershorn nests, which were machine gun nests. You can stand in those machine gun nests today and you could see, boy, you'd be full of fright if you were coming to shore and you look at these Germans all dug in with these machine guns and you jump into these Higgins boats and from the ship to these boats, to the shore, there was no turning around. It's not like if it got, you know, if it got tough guys, just turn the boat around, come back and just jump in the, the ship and we're good to go. It was like, there was one direction to go. Um, and you see some of these boys that were in the hour that were in the water at Normandy for eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 hours. And they were watching their friends uh, perish in front of them. Many of them would have to climb over their bodies to get to the shore, uh, to actually land, to run to the bluffs, to find safety. And what I didn't know, I, I thought Normandy was just a one or two day event. I didn't realize Normandy, Normandy went on for 77 days on both sides there's over 425,000 casualties. And when you go to the beaches of Normandy and you hear the stories and you see what these young boys did, some of them 17, 18, 19 years old, some of them had never left the state of Mississippi if that's where they were from. And now here they were storming the beaches of Normandy on D-Day, you have Americans side by side with Canadians who were side by side, with young men from places like London, right? And here they come. They're storming ashore. And your freedom today, my freedom today, was dependent upon uh, what would happen on those shores and over those 77 days. And
1: like the amazing thing, back to Leonard, the World War II veteran that just passed away in Bellevue with COVID-related symptoms, um, they were told, hey, Don, hey, Leonard, hey, Ron, we're dropping you right here. You're going to be, you know, two kilometers away from your bridge. Everybody rendezvous at this field, and then you're going to go storm the bridge. Well, the pilots were freaking out because they were getting shot at from the ground. Uh, The wind was blowing in a direction. They didn't realize that it was blowing at the speed it was blowing. By the time they landed, they might have been 10 miles off course. And they had no GPS. They didn't know where they were. It's dark. Um, you're with your buddies. You could be a mile and a half away. Um, we're nowhere near the field that we're supposed to meet in. We pull out a paper map. None of us speak French. All of the signage is in French. All of the farmers speak French. We have no idea where we are, and yet we know if we don't secure that bridge in rendezvous with other guys in the 509th, that our guys that are – you know, dying, coming up the beach, they're trying to get to the same bridge. If we don't secure that bridge, the Germans are just going to mow them down. And so as young men, we got to get together with just whoever's wearing the same uniform. It might not even be a, a guy in the 508. We're just going to find another American soldier or Canadian soldier, and we're going to form our own group, come up with our own plan, figure out where we are, and secure that bridge at all costs.
0: Yeah. And then, and then you leave the beach. Uh, You, you drive through the hedgerows. Uh, I ran through those in my morning runs. Uh, You see where they fought in the farmer's field and all these hedgerows were actually built by the Vikings because they used to farm that land. And then you go from village to village and then you finally land at one of the American cemeteries and then you go from gravestone to gravestone and you see all these young boys and they were young and you see that, again, they were 17, 18, 19 years old. If they were 23 and a sergeant, they were old. They were old men, right? They were, they were the grandpas. So, and it emotionally really, really gets to you. And I remember leaving the american cemetery and as we were driving back we went by the german cemetery and this is not where nazis were buried and a lot of people confused nazis were german soldiers and many of the german soldiers did not have a choice they were forced by the nazis uh, to actually fight this war and they were not nazis themselves but there is there is There is no remembrance, really, of those soldiers when you drive by that cemetery, where the Americans are very much celebrated. Uh, The Germans are not. And I wonder what it's like to have a dad or a grandpa or a great grandpa that fought on the German side was not a Nazi and is buried somewhere in that cemetery. I wonder if that carries a lot of shame today. An interesting question. Anyway. Our thanks to all the men and women that have served this country, that have given their lives for you and for me. We say hoorah, hoorah, simplify ding, ding, air power. And uh, we will never forget you and your service and your family's service on this Memorial Day. It is episode number 108. We are live from the Les Schwab Studios. We will see you on the other side of this. Thanks for listening to The Ron and Don Show. Please hit subscribe. Hey guys, welcome back. It's episode number 108 of The Ron and Don Show. It's Memorial Day weekend. And again, if uh, someone in your family has served and they died in the service of this country, we are thinking of you and your family members today because for you, this is much more than a Monday off. Uh, This is much more than just a time to get together and roast some hot dogs and some marshmallows and have some s'mores like we were talking about earlier. Uh, This is really a time of remembrance, and I think a time of remembrance uh, for all of us. So social acceptance. It's interesting when you go back and you study past pandemics, and a lot of times, and this is happening right now, where the medical community is trying to catch up. Because as we see this surge in cases around the country, you could argue the reason we see the surge in cases, and we all know the arguments, is because there's more testing. Or the reason we see the surge in cases is because uh, beaches are filling up, and certain parts of the country, people are going back into restaurants, people are getting haircuts again, uh, people are doing it. It seems like with gear on and and social distancing. But at the same time, Ron, I just wonder, will there be a social acceptance of COVID-19 before there is a medical cure or medical answer? What do you think? Uh, I think
1: if by social acceptance, you mean just sort of a a nihilism of like, well, this is just going to do happen what happens. I, I think probably I think we're already seeing that. Yeah, Uh, that there are people that just sort of uh, I don't know anybody like these numbers that you hear about just are it's a number on a screen. And that's why, you know, telling Leonard's story in the last segment, it's like he shows up as a statistic of a COVID related death and that number, you know, we're very bad with large numbers. We don't know what a hundred thousand Americans, what that means, what it feels like, but that's a man that had a 96 year story. That's a man that lived a life that uh, survived a war, that came home and built a family and tried to move on with his life after jumping out of an airplane with a machine gun and, and fighting the Nazis. So like every one of those numbers that you hear about is a life. And, but yes, it's, I think we're reaching that point where you just go, Hey, it's Memorial Day weekend. I want to go on a hike. I'm not wearing a, a mask. Uh, I'm going to not stand six feet away from my buddy. I've known him my whole life. Uh, and we're going for a hike. And you and I saw that this weekend. We saw people getting their kayaks into the river. They aren't six feet apart. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's just going to happen. I was talking to my mom uh, down in Florida. And they opened their beaches. We've read these stories of the governor of Florida um, making all the the deaths in the state not go through the coroner's office. They had to come through the governor's office, and he decided— Ah, uh, which ones were COVID and which ones weren't? The the statistician that ran their COVID numbers was fired because she disagreed with what numbers should go onto that publicly facing website. The governor said she was insubordinate. People down there are saying, "No, she's a hero. She was trying to give us the truth, but she is out of a job right now." They wow. opened up their beaches. So many people went to the beach. They had to shut down the beach the next day because everybody is stir-crazy, wanted to get out there and do their thing. And so now you can walk to the beach at sunset. You can't bring your folding chair. You can't bring your umbrella. You can't bring your beach towel and lay on the beach. But you can walk on the beach at sunset in, uh, I think, first hours of the day. But they've closed the beaches during the day. And, and people, they have to patrol the beaches. So, yes, it's confusing. It's uh, a huge toll to pay. And, and I think you're right. People have just kind of resigned themselves to, I don't know who to believe. I don't know what information is correct. I don't know anybody that's died. And so
0: I'm just going to go out and try to start living my life. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I, I asked myself this question. I'm like, am I starting to socially, you know, accept And I got out of my truck the other day to walk into a store and I, I just had to get one item. I was going to be in there for two minutes. And I'm like, "Ah," in his big box store, Fred Meyer, like, I I don't, I don't need to go get that mask. And then I thought of a young lady by the name of, of Diane and I went and I grabbed my mask. Uh, I thought of her yesterday when I went for a run and some of the places I run are very narrow trails And I've done enough reading where I don't think it's really important when you're outside and running to wear a mask. But what I noticed is when I'm coming down the trail, people would turn their backs and they would be, it would create fear for them when they'd see someone huffing and puffing and running up some stairs. Uh, So I now wear a mask around my neck, or at least I did the other day. And when I see people coming down the trail, I don't think this, this does anything. It might just be theater, but I do it for them so they don't so they're not scared and they don't turn their back on me kind of hurts my heart a little bit so i just i pull that mask up and i and i run by if that's doing any good i don't know uh, anyway i wrote something called diane diane is not her real name and and this is part of my journey i shared on the radio about getting a cornea transplant and i never shared why uh and it's because of a deadly virus that entered my eye. It's still in my eye. In fact, uh, I've had a flare-up a couple days ago. People wonder why I wear sunglasses all the time. Uh, and I wear sunglasses because I look cool. That's right. Sunglasses, that's why I wear them. Uh, a lot of times I wear sunglasses and even indoors uh, because of what happened to my eye uh, a number of years ago. So this is something that I, that I wrote and uh, I just wanted to share with you guys. And so Maybe we could end the show with this today and talking about Diane and social acceptance and wearing masks and, and, and looking out for each other. So anyways, as, as I stepped into the store today, I forgot something. It was a two minute errand. Well, I turn around and walk all the way back to the car and retrieve that uncomfortable damn mask, I thought to myself. But I did it, and I did it because of a young lady by the name of Diane. Now, Diane's not a real name, but I think her story's important. In fact, Diane died on a California highway about five years ago. She was killed by a drunk driver. I never met her, but I will carry a piece of her with me for the rest of my life. In fact, moments after her death, her family was contacted by the area hospital. They wanted to harvest Diane's organs immediately, and in order to harvest Diane's organs, uh, they had to get permission from the family. And the family said, of course. And she would help her save the lives of seven other humans that night. And one of those humans is me. And then I put up a picture of my eye that's just gorged with this virus. So says, the picture you see is my left eye. I've only shared this picture with a handful of people in my tribe. This is what happens when an unknown virus attacks. It attacked me, and it took my eyesight. In fact, I was blind in my left eye after this virus attacked my eye. It also attacked my son, and he missed months of kindergarten because of it. My doctors were baffled. All the great doctors at Children's, they were baffled. I had gone blind, and I was afraid that my son would go blind too. So for months, I researched this virus. I learned that there's more viruses on planet Earth than there are stars in the galaxy. Most don't use humans as hosts. But when they do, there is typically no medicine that will stop them. We know from 1918, from that flu, that killed 50 to 100 million people. It did it in just 15 months. There were only 1.5 billion people on the planet at the time. And today, we're closing in on 8 billion. People also argued then whether we should wear masks. Should Major League Baseball continue to play in 1918? And when will life get back to normal? Sound familiar? Yeah, it was four years before there was any normalcy in 1918. I saw a couple of strangers today. They're arguing whether you should wear a mask when you're out in public. And to to be fair to everybody, we have been sent a lot of confusing signals. And I think the important thing is, is that we have to leave room for science to get things wrong. When Edison was asked about all his successes... And there's hundreds of patents. He said, let me t- take you to the basement and I'll show you my thousands of failures. Great scientists know that failing and getting things wrong is the path to getting things right. We may look back 20 years from now and discover that we were all dopes and stupid for wearing face masks. My mom's generation got cigarette smoking wrong. In fact, they don't look so cool now when you look back at pictures of that generation in their formative years. Think about Johnny Carson, though, on the, on the Tonight Show. He would sit there at The Tonight Show desk and offer cigarettes to everyone that ventured out on stage. He would sit there and openly smoke sometimes during his monologue. That's because politicians, Hollywood, big tobacco scientists, they were all on different pages with various motivations at the time. We now know that cigarettes, are deadly. Secondhand smoke is deadly. And today's no different. We have politicians, movie stars, big pharma, and scientists that are all on different pages with different motivations and opinions about how we should behave during this pandemic. You know what? Science. They're going to get some of this wrong. And again, I'm going to leave room for them to get it wrong. Great scientists like Edison, they're curious. They're lifelong learners. And they know that getting things wrong is so important. It's the only path to getting it right. When Diane decided to become an organ donor, she probably had no idea her life would end in tragedy. But her selflessness, her forward thinking, it helped save and improve the lives of people like me. She checked that organ donation box on her license, knowing that if something ever did happen, she'd be able to help out a complete stranger who she never knew or met. And that is so powerful to me. Every time I strap on that mask, I see others doing the same. I am deeply touched. It is us saying to one another that I care about you. And even though you're a complete stranger, I'm gonna put this mask on in honor of your life, your health, and your journey. If time goes by and science changes and we got it wrong, well, the intention was right. The intention was and is beautiful. I've had four surgeries, procedures, all these on my eye. My son has had two. I've had stitches in my eyes for years. The pain I dealt with helped propel my drinking as I looked to numb my eye any way I could. It was even more painful to watch my son suffer for so long. And after two failed surgeries at Children's, his eye seems to have completely recovered. As a result of my coronary transplant, I have 2040 vision out of my left eye today. When there's a flare up though, like I have, my vision dissipates. Sometimes I go blind once again. But I'm so thankful weeks later, when my vision comes forming back and when I close my eyes to sleep at night, I can still feel two of the stitches that are embedded and will always be with me in order to keep Diane's cornea in place. The mild discomfort, and it is mild, is a reminder to me of her selflessness and her love for humanity. I don't think Diane knew the incredible impact that she would have when she jumped in her car that night to go on an errand. She lost her life but she breathed life into seven of us. And all our lives are indelibly impacted by her and her family's grace and their love. You may never know the life you saved today when you put on that mask. And if we got it wrong, that's okay because it puts us on a path to getting it right. And it shows how much we love each other. We love you all. He's wrong. I'm Don. Keep your head up, your shoulders back. We'll see you next time for episode 109, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Keep your head up and your shoulders back. And we'll see you next time on the Ron and Don Radio Network.